Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi everybody, this is Evelyn Kennedy. And Jessica Powell. And we're super stoked to be bringing you Beyond the Hunt, which is going to be our new segue branch. Spin-off? Uh, Spin-off? Spin <laughs> oh no, no one wanted Ser us to do this. Here we are. <laughs> Series <laughs> of the Real Huntings podcast. So we've both been on as co-hosts a couple times and we love to bring a little bit more of the energy side or the spirit side of some of your guys's stories, um, you know, ghost stories, hauntings. As our first little intro episode, we wanted to tell you guys a little bit about us and how we came to be professionals in the industry that we're in and even how we came to have some of the belief systems that we have. Um, so I guess I want to just start too, because uh, you've told me a bit about how you got into this work, but I don't think anything like really in depth. So how, like, when did you... This is Jess, by the way, speaking to Evelyn. We have similar, different voices, thank God. We were listening to a podcast the other day where both the people sounded the exact same and you literally could not tell who was it speaking. Was so <laughs> horrible. <laughs> so bad. Anyway, have you always believed in spiritual work or psychics or like any of this type of stuff that we do? I feel like I had to. Um, and part of my story is that when I was a kid, I, I saw things, you know, like I was, I guess some people would probably say that I was just a really anxious kid, but I saw stuff that kept me awake at night. It made me really fearful. Um, and now I'm, now I know that I was, um, seeing like entities, like they couldn't like get to me, but they were around. And so I, I really shut a lot of that down as I got older, just for my own I don't know, mental health protection. Um, and I, of course, wasn't doing that consciously. It just uh, kind of had to happen um, for me to be able to like thrive as a human. It didn't really come up. I always had sort of like a, a belief or a knowing that there was kind of more going on. I don't think that I was ever someone who I, I would say was like, oh, super atheist or something. You know, I think that we're just lacking a lot of information in that way. Well, question. Did you talk to any of the adults in your life around no, what you saw? Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I am not I don't know, and you you know this about me, but like I am not in my struggles are very internal. So I was not aside from like maybe I would sometimes tell my mom that I had a nightmare when I absolutely did not have a nightmare. I had not been asleep at all. Um and like go into bed with her. Um, but that was the extent of it. And I tried my best to just kind of tolerate <laughs> my own fear in my bedroom because I didn't even like doing that. Like I found it embarrassing. Um, so as I got older and I started to get 
you know, you, you explore things um, as you get older. And I had a couple really bizarre experiences in my teen years. And the first one was actually with lucid dreaming. So, you know, I had been reading like Carlos Castaneda and I was like, oh yeah, so totally. I'm going to try lucid dreaming. And so the first thing that they tell you when you're doing lucid dreaming is to look at your hands. And it's this moment of... Um, like that show we watched what on show? Netflix. Remember when they had to look at their hands? Oh my God, I do not remember such, what you're talking about. It was such a good show. We loved it. We binge watched the hell out then of it. Then what was it called, I Jess? I don't remember. <laughs> it's not a useful <laughs> tidbit. We can't refer. Okay, you keep talking. I'm going to look up the episode. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I did this thing where I, I looked at my hands and... The first, you know, the first thing you do is realize that you're dreaming. When you have that moment of realizing that you're dreaming because you see something that's non-congruent with real life and you're like, oh, I think I'm dreaming. So in that moment, you look at your hands and I was able to do this and I looked at my hands and I don't know what I was expecting to happen, um, but it was legitimately one of the scariest experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, I looked at my hands and it was like... I got like kind of sucked into my hands. Like it was like bridging this bizarre gap between like reality, you know, 3D world and like the astral. And I just kind of got stuck in this like little loop place, which is very common for me. That's the thing that happens. Um, but it was very terrifying. So and it, I couldn't break out of it. Like I knew that I was dreaming. I knew that I had looked at my hands. I knew and they didn't even look not like my hands. Um, like I wasn't seeing something visually scary, but it was more like psychiatric, like horror, you know, like mental torment kind of feeling. Oh, that sounds great. It was great. It was so fun. <laughs> really recommend it. Um, and I couldn't break out of it for a really long time. When I did, I woke up and I was just shook. And I mean, to the point where I was like, I'm never doing that again. And I actually really wanted to leave a lot of that world kind of behind because it scared me so bad. Um, so at that moment, I was like, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't something that I could explain easily. So that, I guess, was one of my first moments of like confirming that I believed that there was something else going on out in the world. You had a very terrifying experience. Every, every that. experience that I had that led me here was terrifying. Yes. So that explains <laughs> your ayahuasca experience where we met. Yeah. Which yeah. is a podcast episode. You can check out if you want. Also, the Netflix show is Behind Her Eyes. Why do I not remember that? I don't know because we binge watched, probably because we binge watched, we watched it, it so, so fast because <laughs> it was so good. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, highly check it out. That's what Evelyn's talking about. So what, so that's just like me up until age 16. What was your early formation of this sort oh. of belief system? You know, I mean, I had a very traumatized, traumatizing youth and uh, I was just talking to my sister about this when we were seeing her in um, Hawaii and we both don't remember a lot of our childhood, which is a classic case of disassociation when you're raised in a traumatic environment. Um, I remember, so my, my, uh, my, I have two sisters, my middle sister, Jackie, um, she slept on the top bunk and I was on the bottom bunk. And I remember waking up one night or like kind of in like the dawn, um, time where it's like kind of light, but not really. And I saw like this figure by the like the po like the bedpost like the furthest bedpost from like where my head was but i wasn't fully like awake i wasn't fully asleep i didn't quite know so i just took it as like nothing 
And that's kind of it. And then we talked about this on one of the podcast episodes, the first one that I was on when we used a Ouija board after my friend Lisa um, was killed when I was 12. So that's kind of the first times I like really consciously remember having any of those types of experiences. But like, man, I don't know. In my teens, I started doing drugs pretty hard and fast. Um, I was an athlete, so I basically numbed everything with like really hard endurance sports. And, you know, I was, I considered myself a complete atheist. Um, I didn't believe in anything. I thought any thought of like type of God or talk of God was ridiculous. I was like, prove it. Um, you know, I was definitely a science fundamentalist and that shifted a, a lot. My story with this didn't really happen until I moved abroad to India and I was there for just over two years and all the practices. I moved there specifically to learn yoga. And then obviously with that, it led to meditation. And I really fell hard into the Vipassana meditation by S.N. Goenka, which I'm sure we can talk about in another episode. So I was, what, 31 and I remember it vividly. I was in Chiang Mai, the Vipassana Center, just outside Chiang Mai. They had these really dope rooms. And at night, when we went to sleep, one particular night, I had this crazy vivid dream that was real about present time. And it was about the um, woman and my friend who I was living with just before I moved to India. And she and her mom were getting into this huge argument. And I remember her mom saying something like, we, you and me and your dad didn't pay all of this money to take you to a prestigious school so you can stop doing your work and start doing art shit. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of weird. I mean, it wasn't out of character. And, you know, I'm in 10 days of silent meditation. I can't reach out to my friend and be like, dude, did this happen? But we did FaceTime after that. And I didn't tell her I had this dream because I don't I didn't think I don't think I felt shame about it, but it just felt weird and I didn't think she would believe me. So I just kind of kept it to myself. But we had a conversation and she's like, oh man, we got into this huge fight with my mom, or I got into a huge fight with my mom, and I quit working at Microsoft and now I'm making feather accoutrement for shoes. And I was like, holy shit. That's a thing that happened. And I think, too, depending on where you're listening to this, we're in the United States. We're really a closed down country. Um, like we aren't taught to slow down. We aren't taught to reflect. In fact, we're taught to do all of the opposite um, to basically just like run ourselves ragged in this rat race. And when you do that, you don't have the time to really like sit in this space. And I think me being in India and it in and of itself being a very you know, spirituality runs through the undercurrent of that whole entire country. It really opened me up to being able to experience what I had inherently inside of myself. And I just had never slowed down. I'd never stopped drinking. I had never stopped working out. I had never stopped working. I'd never stopped doing anything until I got to that place. And as soon as I slowed down, I was like, holy shit, like this is a thing that I think is is there. Like that was my first inclination with it. When I moved home, it was like blown up and wide. So you said that's how it, for your thing, it took you up until you were like 16. What happened? Like, was there like a huge gap? Was there like an intentional gap? Just life? I was 16 and then I definitely like freaked myself out. So I closed all of that stuff down. Then kind of a long pause, I would say. And again, like I, I definitely had some beliefs that were running through me, but 
but they weren't based in anything. You know, I wasn't religious. I wasn't really seeking any particular kind of teaching. It was just kind of like, I don't know, this is kind of how I think like the world works. And I knew that I kind of knew things sometimes. I just didn't, you know, kind of like you said, like we're just kind of go, go, go. And I just didn't really spend enough time thinking about that and what that meant for me. Oh, the other thing that happened when I was a teenager is my mom took me to this masseuse and this masseuse was an energy worker. She was a psychic. And she told me, she was like, you're going to be in this line of work. Like you're going to be a psychic or energy worker. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely kind of ignored that. Um, but she told me about some, that was kind of my first foray into like learning about past lives a little bit. She told me about a couple of my past lives and not, and it wasn't like a big transformational moment. It was very much like a, a reading. So just for sort of listener clarity, sometimes people will do like an intuitive reading or a psychic reading and it's very much just like relaying information. And sometimes you'll have sessions that are a lot more like you're kind of journeying with them or you're very participatory in a certain kind of healing or information gathering. And I do find that those ones can feel more profound for me. Um, And so this initial thing was a lot more like, hey, I'm, I'm telling you these experiences, but I wasn't like witnessing or taking part in them. So I guess it felt a little bit more like, sure, whatever you say, lady. So then when I had my daughter was like my biggest turning point because I suffered pretty intensely from postpartum depression and I had never had that, like I had never been depressed. I didn't have that on my radar. I didn't even know that that's what it was. I just thought that I was really bad at adjusting to being a mom. And through that process, I had a friend of mine recommend that I work with this intuitive. And I didn't even at that point really know what that meant. Like I I was just like, I'll try anything at this point. And so I took her information and I booked a session. And my first session with her was so transformative. It was more meaningful than any, um, and this is unique to me, but it was more impactful than any therapy that I had ever done. It was more impactful than any you know, ongoing like coping techniques. It it just was more transformative for me. And one of the things that we really looked into was past life stuff. We did a past life regression and I was able to see a lot of the things that I was holding and carrying on with me from this previous life that were still impacting me and things that if I was able to like release them or heal them, I would be able to move forward in my life with just a little bit lighter burden. And that process was one where I was very involved. Like I was seeing, you know, going on, going on a a guided meditative journey, basically with a professional and her um, directing me and kind of telling me where to go and what to follow. And it's very much like being in, it's not unlike being in a dream state. So it freaked me out a little bit because of my lucid dreaming experience, because it does feel a little similar, but I think it's a little bit more controlled and less like unhinged. Uh, but through that process, I like left that session and I was just like, that was like my mind blown moment. Like I was like, I don't know what that was. I don't know if I like believed in that per se, but after having that experience, I couldn't not like believe the use of that kind of practice. And so I just kept working with her as a 
you know, as a client. And she said the same thing. Like, she was like, you're going to go into this work. And I was like, no, they're, they're okay. <laughs> and uh, I definitely didn't believe her at that point. And so that was kind of like the next thing that, that furthered me on that path. And I was still like, I'm not going to do this professionally. I had no interest in that at that time. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that, um, and I'm sure this is different for everybody, but both you and I came to this in a um, state of <laughs> desperation. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking about there, there. I mean, there were so many different moments when I was in India, especially because like you know everybody that goes there from here, and then everybody who's there is somehow tapped into something. I had like my first Reiki healing from my friend Dominic, who has since passed, bless his soul. And that was the first time I even ex- like was aware of like sensation in my body that wasn't like physical like touch, like through the actual touch sensation. But I still didn't even like, then I was like, well, you can do like distance energy healings. What the fuck is that? And now, and now I do them, which <laughs> all of this is so, it's just so funny. It's it's funny that as you get older, you start to do the things that you always judged people for. And you're like, oh shit, I was, I certainly was a person back then. But when I moved home. This episode of the Real Hauntings Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey everyone, it's Noah Daniels and I'm here to talk to you again about Wild Grain. Our last shipment of Wild Grain was so good that my four-year-old cannot stop asking for more of that awesome bread with dinner. And I'm not going to lie, I'm right there with him. And honestly, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh bread baked coming from the oven. What if I told you that you too could get that delicious experience of homemade bread with none of the time and work involved? Well, you can by ordering from Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. And you can now fully customize your Wild Grain box, so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. When you go to wildgrain.com hauntings to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com hauntings. That's wildgrain.com hauntings, or you can use promo code hauntings at checkout. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. 
go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. I, and everybody was like, oh, it must be so hard being back here because it's so loud. And America is not loud. It's very quiet. It's very organized, like traffic signals go at certain times and very rarely do people honk. And it's just such a quiet place. I guess very rarely do people honk in Seattle. Unless I'm driving. (laughs) Uh, I honk all the time. Maybe it's because I lived in India. But everybody is so loud inside. Whereas in India, it is just a cacophony of everything visually with your sense with your sensate like every it's just it's so in your face and it's so i love it so much but it's loud outside but everybody is pretty quiet inside um i remember when i first got to this new guest house i was staying at in goa where i was practicing with my ashtanga teacher there and this guy david who worked at this restaurant he's an indian man i'm not sure if that was his real name or um if it was like his given name due to all the people that go there and have a hard time pronouncing stuff. But it is a very Catholic, like where I was in Goa was a very Catholic like type place. The Portuguese initially tried to um, colonize it. And he and I was like, how are you? And he's like, he's like, you know, I'm great. If it's a little too sweet, you add a little bit of salt. If it's too salty, you add a little bit of sweet. And then like two hours later, I walked by that restaurant again and he was punching somebody in the face. And so I was just like, I guess things got a little too sweet for him. <laughs> but like... That's how people are there. Like, it's just so like there's this understanding of the balance that they have within themselves that is not here. And as soon as I landed in the States, I had like the worst reverse culture shock. One, because just the cultures are so different. People in America complain all the time about everything and nobody in India complains about anything, at least in the villages and stuff that I lived in. But I literally felt like I was losing my motherfucking mind. Woman I was living with temporarily during this time was so abrasive that I could feel her energy coming home from work when she was like three blocks away and I'd start to get a huge headache. I just felt unhinged. I felt like I my feet were never on the ground. I felt like my head swirling in ways I never had before. Like I thought I was having an absolute nervous breakdown. And I talked to some of my friends about it. And my friend Meredith was so sweet. And she's like, you should go see this healer. She's like, I know it sounds fucking crazy, but I had a lot of weird experiences after my mom died. And this particular woman really was fantastic. And so that's where I really got into, I guess, the energy work and going to see energy workers in the States. And through that, and funny enough, I was talking about my experiences with the woman I was living with. And she's like, it sounds like you're an empath, Jess. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, you have to realize I didn't have vocabulary around any of this stuff. I was like, before I went to India, I was trying to climb the corporate ladder. I was a nationally competitive athlete. Like, this was not on my radar. And I started doing some diving into what being an empath was. And I was like, oh shit, this, this is exactly what this is. And how in the hell do I rein this stuff in? And then basically my whole process of opening up was really to understand how to control being an empath because I could feel myself going absolutely crazy. And I didn't, I hated how it felt. It felt absolutely awful and I needed help. And so that's how I kind of 
came into like, and it, from there, like I can just see all the different tiles, like being laid down on the path to where I am now. That's really how I came to find out that I had these abilities and my having them, I didn't want to like do them more. I wanted to be able to shut them off, honestly. And so that's where a lot of my training came from is being able to shut down these particular uh, skill sets that I have been blessed with apparently um, so I could function in the society in which we live. <laughs> well, and I, I wonder, cause like, I'm just like listening to you talk about being kind of figuring out what an, that you were an empath and really needing to learn how to implement boundaries for that particular thing. And that is so common for people who are coming in as like new clients. For for me, it's like a ton of that, a ton of like, I don't know how to not absorb everyone else's stuff around me. Oh, and since, you know, our intention here is to be a, a little bit educational. Do you want to define like what being an empath is. Oh, yeah, that would probably be helpful for all of those listening. So you don't have to do your own Google researches, but you can. <laughs> Everybody has different thoughts on this. Um, and there's some people, oh, there's a guy I follow on Instagram where I used to follow Mark Groves who was like, there's no such thing as an empath. It's just codependency. And I was like, uh, no. So if you're a little skeptical, that's totally fine. Um, but being an empath is somebody... So there's various ways that people get information. There's clairvoyance, which is um, clear sight, clear audience, which is clear knowing, um, clairsentience, which is... Clear uh, feeling. Clear feeling, which is being an empath, and then claircognizance, which is just like you get data downloads. Um, so clairsentience is the clear feeling. So you can actually pick up on what other people are experiencing, even if you're not even close to them. I remember I was in Australia and I was staying at this really weird ashram, quote, quote, place. And one day I was just, I couldn't leave my room and I was just a sobbing pile of mess. And come to find out my sister was in the hospital that day. I didn't find out until the day after. And I was like, oh, crap. I wonder if that was like connected in some way. So it's being able to like pick up on other people's shit really in, in like viscerally within your body. Um, and it can be as like severe as actually feeling the very exact pain that they have. I had this experience this last week with uh, Evelyn's lower back pain. My normal pain is in my neck where I had a really bad whiplash from a car accident and hers is in her low, like low, 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 like sacrum space. And so, you know, I still... Sometimes the people who are closest to us, it's harder to like slough off their stuff. <laughs> harder uh, to clear out. Yeah, it is harder to clear out. And sometimes it's just like, not even like a, like the exact feeling, but like that gut feeling that you have. I sometimes would consider that also being empathic. And then there's, of course, just being an empathic person or having empathy for others, which is being able to like see yourself in their shoes and understand their, their flight. But this is actually like really feeling it in some particular way. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. I think the only difference in the way that I define, and this is the whole thing, right? Is that there's all of these different ways that we experience this stuff. And for me, sometimes my clairsentient, like I would say that empathy contains clairsentience, but not all clairsentience is empathy. Because for me, like clairsentience being clear feeling, and that can be body feeling or it can be emotion feeling, but not necessarily the same as like when I think of empaths, I think of 
Like they are a sponge. So oftentimes these are people who will go out in big public spaces where you're literally around a ton of people and you're just sort of this open sponge absorbing whatever the collective energy is. You know, if you're too near, like if your energy field is literally overlapping with someone who's having a terrible time, you might feel like you're suddenly having a terrible time and you don't necessarily have a reason. It doesn't make sense. So the biggest thing around that is definitely learning how to have boundaries, which we can absolutely, I'm sure we will do an entire episode (laughs) on (laughs) setting empathic boundaries um, because it it doesn't feel good to carry other people's stuff. And yeah, and like being, it doesn't feel good to carry my own shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to opt out. Um, (sighs) Well, and being too, like we're both empaths. And so like there will absolutely be times where like she's on her period and I'm like oh my god am I having your period headache like and I have to like get rid of it and like you know just things like that where you know you you have to check in with yourself and be like is this mine is what I'm feeling mine because if it's in my body I assume it's mine yeah and if you don't know that you're operating with that empathic tendency um then you don't always know when it's time to uh, release something or allow something to be cleared that doesn't even belong to you. It's hard to distinguish. I know one of the questions that you get a lot too is like, how do I know what's mine and what's somebody else's? And it's, it's hard to distinguish that. And even as professionals that we like, this is something that we do. I've spent the last decade studying this stuff and practicing it for myself and also professionally. (laughs) <laughs> Se- segue into the next episode. Oh God, is that what we're going to tackle next? I don't know. If I'm okay. <laughs> okay, we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, well that I think kind of brings you guys up to date a little bit on what helps us form our opinions and what yeah. brings us to sort of like our spiritual philosophy. Neither of us are practicing within any dogmatic or organized no. religion in any sense. Uh, I think we both actually pretty intentionally operate outside of that. Truth be told, I was raised Catholic, went to a Catholic all-girls high school where I learned about all, not all of the world religions, but many of them. So a lot of my stuff is, um, there is some Eastern philosophical stuff uh, rooted in Hinduism and and Buddhism. Um, I'm not like actively practicing in any of those, but. There's ties. Yeah, there are ties. Well, and I think there's so much that can go into our philosophy too. I know one of the things that I want us to cover at some point is like spiritual bypassing and shadow work. And I think it's important for us to say on this first episode too, for me, and I also think for you, Ev, is that if you're working with somebody that um, ignores the fact that shadow work <laughs> is is part of energy work, um, run, run far and run fast uh, because there's no getting outside of the shadow work. It it is in, it's part of the whole. So just, I think that's a really important thing that I just want to like drop right now is that that's, uh, something that's kind of guiding, guiding our way is not just focusing on the light and fairy foofy, foofy, (laughs) good vibes only. Oh my God. Fuck. Good vibes only so hard, but to really get to know yourself, you have to really dive into the pieces of yourself that you have neglected or have purposely avoided or not purposely avoided depending on when your trauma security <sighs> mechanisms got put into place so and really the spiritual work is just self-healing work um whether people have trauma or they don't have trauma it's something that can really take you through so many different facets of, facets of your life 
it's a it's a spiritual journey, yes, but it's also just a very personal journey, and it doesn't have to rely on any kind of other structure other than exploring yourself and whether you have someone guiding you through that process or not. Um, it's still so useful, um, in general. Yeah. Okay. So I want to wrap us up and my goal for this podcast would be to answer as many listener questions as possible. And so we're looking for questions that pertain specifically to, uh, Real Hauntings, if you've had an episode that you wondered about, go ahead and um, shoot us a message about that. Um, Questions, all things, spirituality, personal work, anything um, along those lines, we are so excited to um, be answering those via this medium. Yes, absolutely. And you can find me on jpowintuitive.com. If I ever go back to Instagram, I'm uh, jesssuckapow, J-E-S-S-U-C-K-A-P-O-W. My mother hates it. (laughs) Um, And where can people find you? If you're wanting to submit questions, it's really best if you just email me at k.evelynkennedy at gmail.com. But you can also check out my social media is the.mirror.grid and that's on TikTok and Instagram. Um, and then also just on my website, themirrorgrid.com. Um, so we are excited to be taking your guys' questions. And I feel like I feel like this was a good first run. Wasn't it a good idea of mine? <laughs> <laughs> what, was it? Was it? <laughs> I feel like this was Noah's idea that you manifested. Oh no, no. I mean, oh, you mean the podcast overall? I thought you know, the topic that we were going to go over on our first episode. I mean, we had to talk about us. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. <laughs> anyway, we're together. If you guys didn't know that. We should probably mention that. I don't know. Can't they figure it out? I get. Oh, sure. It's implied. <laughs> I like to be clear. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. We love you all. Bye. <laughs> Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.